Welcome to The Observer Effect, a podcast of travel stories. Each week we hope to bring you a conversation with someone we meet overseas and at least one good story. Episode 114, Absolute Silence, Auschwitz, where Dominic cried. Can you describe where we are? We're in Auschwitz-Birkenau, just outside Krakow in Poland, um, visiting the concentration camps, and it's very cold. So can you describe some of the things that you see just looking around us right now? It's quite bleak, it's quite flat. Uh, so I think it really does get the weather. It's surrounded by trees. Um, the camp was sort of just laid out in such a regimented way. Part of it demolished and lots of watchtowers that are still there. And it's amazing that the rest is still standing as a memorial, really, yeah. to, the, to the Holocaust. Yeah. Do you remember the first time that you learned about it? Was it in school? Or? No, as an adult, really. I really? think I think wow. I heard about it in school, but it meant nothing. It was only when I either watched a film or read a book. Yeah. And it really, I think it hit me that it was like only, it's so recent. I think yeah. that's, that's the thing. I just couldn't believe it was so recent. I think I was always aware of it. I was always aware that that... Um, had happened, but in a way it was always in the background. Yeah. Once I read about it, and one, I think it was Anne Frank's aunt wrote a book, which was just so shocking because it really told you what happened. Yeah. Um, and after that, I think, um, yeah, that's when I woke, woke up to the fact that really it could happen again as well. Yeah. Really, I think that's how I felt. Yeah. Today is Holocaust Remembrance Day. Last November, As I was leaving the concentration camp, just outside Krakow, in Poland, I pulled aside a woman walking next to me, named Rona, and asked why she'd come. So, I guess my main question Mm -hmm. is what what drew you here? Obviously, many people come to understand. I've always wanted to come. I've read some books in the past um, that were really quite shocking, quite... um, quite um, explicit books about what happened in the Holocaust and it always, I couldn't believe that such a thing could happen in what was at that time our century because I was born in the 1950s Um, and I was shocked that human beings could do that to one another and I think I was also impressed by the bravery or the stoicism of a lot of the people that actually survived and and it, it's just always captured my imagination and so I wanted to visit it yeah. so I wanted to come for a long time for me the pole was also a book this is where Primo Levi was imprisoned I first read his account of surviving if this is a man five years ago because my friend Nick Valaperta pressed it on me Rona is right buildings can't speak as loudly as a book like If This Is a Man. The room full of children's shoes speaks, but my response isn't words. Visiting Auschwitz is a quieting experience. So in addition to seeing it firsthand, I wanted to understand this effect. And above all, I wanted to find out 
what the descendants of Nazis think. How does a nation heal after committing a crime that on some level everyone is responsible for? Do people confront their guilt? Talk about it with their children? What can we learn from them about the directions our own government takes and raising our voice against it or not? My Polish guide through the camp said that the few Germans who visit usually don't hire a guide and keep to themselves. In Berlin, I met Dominic, who's Austrian. This is his story. This episode is actually not as heavy as you might expect, so I hope you spend the time with Dominic standing in a cold courtyard that I did two years ago, reflecting on his experience of Auschwitz. May they be safe where it is told. Peg Sayers. Say that again. Well. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Say that again. Um, you just said I'm a good storyteller. And I think, I think I am. And I heard that the first time when I was working in the Holocaust Museum, which is an interesting place yeah. to hear these things. Okay, before we go too much further, though, yeah, I always yeah, ask sure. first, can you describe what you look like? Um... I, I'm about 165 meters tall. I say meters because I don't know inch. Um, I'm Caucasian. Don't have much beard. Don't have any beard, to be honest. Blue eyes, um, blonde, brownish hair, short hair, chubby. Um, I, I, look like, I look like a white teddy bear a bit, <laughs> I guess. Okay. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I love it when people give just the hard facts first, like height, you know, and then they give a really colorful description like that. That's great. That's why I said you're a good storyteller. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Can you describe where we are right now? Yeah. Um, we, are, we are in Kreuzberg, and we are near a church. And behind the church, there is an old monastery, I think it is. And it's very peaceful and quiet here. We are away from the loud street with the sirens. And it was just raining recently. So you can still hear the cars because it's wet. The, the asphalt is wet. But um, here it's all gloomy but still peaceful. And lights in the windows but quiet. There's a few Christmas decorations already um, but you don't hear anybody talk mm. and we should say we're in Berlin we're in Berlin yes and I heard that you moved to Berlin to become a poet yes so when I heard that I had to make sure I interviewed you <laughs> how accurate is that <laughs> can so, you talk about that so I, I, I you know, I consider myself a poet for the last, for, for several years. Um, I write poetry for the last 11 years, I guess. And um, <clears throat> I came to Berlin to write more, which I did in a way. So I, I, I'm writing more again. But I think the biggest problem with Berlin is that there's so much distraction here. And mm. you barely really sit down peacefully and just think or just write or just be 
Mm. Because there's always something going on. There's always a concert. There's always somebody to meet, something to do. Mm. Um, and it's hard for me to find peace and solitude, which means that there's not so much writing mm. that have been done in the last one and a half years I've lived here. Um, Originally, what did you imagine would happen to you if you moved to Berlin? Like, what? Why was that connected? Poetry in Berlin. Um, well, Berlin was more like uh, it was my guts telling me I have to move to Berlin. I didn't mm. really know why. I just mm. thought, hey, it, it, I have to move to Berlin. There was no reason for it. Um, I mean, most of the poetry I, I do write is in English, uh, is, in, is in German, some is in English, but most is in German, so it just made sense to move to a big German city, and it is a, a cultural epicenter, so to speak. But um, it was a gut feeling telling me to come here. And um, what I did by now is I joined the Creative Writing Group Berlin, uh, which is a club of writers and poets. We meet once a month and we have a yearly reading which is a big step for me because it means to get my stuff out there mm -hmm. and also it means to get other poets and writers to actually criticize my, my art mm. which, which is difficult Yeah. Uh, but I, I really appreciate that and also it's um, so the people who are in this club are like family I can, you know, I can tell them and I can read them whatever I want and I, I, I'm not judged by mm. any of them, mm. which is a beautiful thing and it feels like a very safe place to to read there. And, and also it's inspiring because some of those people are just plain brilliant. It's just <laughs> amazing. <laughs> From so, all over, yeah. probably, or are they... All over Berlin. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean... They, they come from the U.S., England, ex-Yugoslavia. They come from all over, but yeah. they all live in Berlin. That's what connects them. Yeah. And they, they, write, they, they write about Berlin, or it's creative writing in Berlin. And it's, um, it's fascinating because, because sometimes, you know, we, like, feeling like a misfit, you think that you're the only one, you know, which is, of course, never true. Um, and, and meeting other poets and writers is just so rewarding because you you just completely you, you meet people who understand you and you mm. meet you meet people who you know have been through the same or to similar through similar things than you have and it's just wonderful to share ideas and to to also understand that that certain feelings are universal but can be the, expressed differently mm. yeah mm. I think so yeah would you say that Berlin has changed you? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Many, many different aspects of my life. So it definitely has changed my love life. Um, it has changed the way I see many things. I've met many new cultures here. I ate lots of good food here. I am... Um, I talk to many interesting people and I also you know Berlin is for me Berlin is the place where everything goes which means that you can be whoever you want you can do whatever you want and it works because it's Berlin strange enough and <laughs> and everybody's an artist in the city you know it's like everybody comes here with a big dream and 
um, most people have a regular day job but they they stay all seem to do something else with their life like something they really live for is is their art you know either it's it's poetry or it's writing or it's painting or whatever and um what I, what I really adore about Berlin is that there is a space for everything mm. so I'm, I'm, I'm not just talking about art but you know there is there's a space for all kinds of quirkiness and um, you could have a vegan you could have a vegan shop that sells cat food <laughs> and people will come and buy vegan cat food you know because there is some people would do that you yeah. know and yeah. um, you can it, it, it doesn't matter you know it's um, and, and the, the thing is it's you just have to the ultimate freedom we call it Narrenfreiheit fool's freedom <laughs> so you can yeah you, if, if you want to slash to slash that lamb or to smash that lamp, to smash that lamp, you can, you know. I mean, it's not going to help you or anybody <laughs> else, but if you have the urge to do that, nobody will stop you, yeah. you know. Yeah. So it's just like, it, it sometimes feels like, um, like the whole city is an art form of art happening right now. Mm. You know, like an artist doing a performance, Mm. But it it seems like the city does a performance, and everybody's watching, and everybody's participating, and everybody enjoys it. <laughs> and I think that's just that's an amazing feature of this place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You make it sound so good <laughs> <laughs> because it is. Yeah. So. Generally speaking, uh, do you think of yourself as much of a traveler? Has travel played a big role in your life? Um, well, yeah. So I've lived in Australia for a bit more than a year. And I did come around Europe quite a bit. But there's so much more to see. Like, you know, I haven't <laughs> been to South or North America. I haven't been to Africa barely been to Asia I mean, you know seriously Turkey doesn't really count mm. um, so so there, there are whole continents that lie there lie you know up front and to be explored um, but still I think that traveling changed me tremendously um, so you know simply said it broadens your it broadens your horizon mm. literally mm -hmm. um, that's something very important you, you start understanding other people's lives you start you start to understand why people act the way they do you hear stories about you know people praying to this god or that but if you dare and you pray with them you understand the beauty of it mm -hmm. and don't even have to believe what they believe to be a part of the spiritual experience mm. and that's not just about that's not just with belief but that's the same with with everything um, or nearly everything food for example you know I mean you you go eat food in in a 
in a place where it originates from and it's just it's so much more filling mm. and you, you you taste the love yeah and it's just a beautiful thing or if you hear music for the first time you you haven't heard before and and you think to yourself how could i survive so long without this music <laughs> for example <laughs> what music are you thinking of um let's my music for example It's amazing. It's fantastic. It's so much fun. I love it, you know? But yeah, it's, it, that's, that's great. And, um, and traveling, I think the most beautiful thing about traveling is meeting all these characters which come from all over the place. And, um, and you realize that... <clears throat> and there's, you realize that they have so much to give. Uh, and that you have so much to give of information, of um, knowledge, of wisdom. And everybody holds wisdom, even mm. the smallest child, mm. you know. And um, to learn from each other and to, to learn from each other and to not just respect the differences, but to learn through the differences is a beautiful, magnificent, magnificent thing. Mm. And yeah, I think traveling is is not just important; it's 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 essential. It's something everybody should do to understand their lives better and themselves better, and also to understand what they have in their life and what others have and what others don't. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, it's easier said than done because not everybody is fortunate enough to be able to travel. But if you can, you must, mm. because it brings you further. Mm. It brings you on. Yeah. We just crossed some stumbling stones. Mm. Can yeah. you explain for my audience what those are, just as you explained them to me? when sure. I first arrived here in Berlin. Sure. So I, I've been so touched by this project and I'm so thankful that you alerted me to them. <laughs> okay. Um, thank you. So, um, in addition to being a great storyteller and poet <laughs> and traveler, you're also a great guide, by the way. You should know. <laughs> thank you. God, my cheeks turn red. Um, Stumbling Stones is a very interesting uh, project by a guy whose name I forgot, which is terrible. Mm -hmm. um, but he does this all over Austria and Germany. So basically what he does is... So you have regular cobbled stones. And then he has platinum or, or gold stones, which look like that. And he puts those stones in front of buildings where people lived who were persecuted and deported by the Nazis. Um, and on these stones, he writes the name of those people, their birth date, when they were deported, where they were deported, and if, if it actually exists, the date of their death. Mm. Um, I actually, I heard of those Stumbling Stones before Berlin and I thought I think I, I saw the first ones in Vienna but there are really many in Berlin 
Mm. And um, I think it's a beautiful project. I think it's a, it's a very haunting project because you literally stumble over them. So in German, they're called Stolpersteine. And of course, you don't you don't you, you don't literally stumble over them because they are the same the same level as the other stones. But you know, you, you walk and then you suddenly see something listening in the li- in in the in the light, and you stop and you and you look and you read, and and you realize that there was maybe a whole family living here, you know, two parents and two kids, and and they were deported and and gone and it's it's an instant connection to the past and it's it's both hurtful and beautiful because the beauty the beautiful part of it is that they they used to live in this house and now there's a stone you know, reminding people that they lived here and <clears throat> and hence they're not forgotten, which is the important part. But on the other side, it also shows that, you know, why, why did they have to leave? What mm. did they do wrong? Mm. Because they were homosexuals or Jews or gypsies, you know? Um, and... It shows you as a passerby also how lucky you are just to live now and not be persecuted for something you are and you cannot change. Mm. And I think it's a very, very powerful message and I really appreciate I really appreciate those stumbling stones. Yeah. Yeah. If I have the, possi- the, the possibility I always just stop and read and reminisce if that's the right word or remember mm-hmm. and just think about those people for a minute before I keep walking mm-hmm. it's another kind of travel yeah forced it's travel. time it's time people. travel well that too i mean but their their travel you know yeah oh yeah the the forced displacement mm. is a part of the story you mentioned to me that you had a really emotional trip to auschwitz mm. and uh i just stored that away in the back of my mind uh, to ask you on tape <laughs> yeah uh, what made that emotional? What, can you tell the story of that journey? I'm, I'm happy to tell the story. Um, <clears throat> I first have to say, though, that um, I, I once talked with a Holocaust survivor who was actually in the Auschwitz death camp, and I said, and he told me he was in Auschwitz, and I said, oh, I was in Auschwitz too. And he said, yes, you were in Auschwitz, but you were not in Auschwitz. So, you know, this is actually, I think this is an interesting way to, you know, start the story. Yeah. 
because time changes everything. Um, so the story starts when I was the story starts right before my 11th birthday. I was madly in love with Caroline, the prettiest girl from my class, and um, oh, I fell madly in love with her. Like it was for me, it was love on first sight, and um, you know everything that was part of that, like butterflies in your tummy and stuttering and thinking about that person all the time, etc., etc. And um, at some point, I, uh, you know, brought up all the courage I had and I told her that I had a huge crush on her. And she just said, oh, well, thank you, but I'm in a, in a relationship with Adrian. And I was devastated. I was really really devastated and of course I was I was only a boy and I I cycled home and I remember that we had food at my grandma's place back then and um, at that day and I just arrived there and I cried and I cried and I cried I didn't cry for 10 years I couldn't I didn't cry for a sad movie or a sad book. I didn't cry when my grandma died or friends or pets. It's just, it, it wasn't possible. It was sealed. It was just not, there's not, there was nothing to cry for. It's, I, at times I felt sad, but I just wasn't able to cry. I couldn't. And um, when I was 21, um, I was preparing for my uh, for my um, Austrian Holocaust Memorial Service in Australia. And can, can you explain that briefly? Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, in Austria, every male has to do a service for his country. So that is usually either military or civil service. But instead of civil service, you can also do a service abroad, which is either peace service, social service, or the so-called Austrian Holocaust Memorial Service which is in remembrance of the victims of National Socialism. And I did this service in Australia in a Holocaust Museum for one year. Mm. And this is seen as my service for the Republic of Austria. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and as a preparation for this, or as, as part of preparation for this, um, the society... Well, club is the wrong word but society I was part of um, we all drove to Auschwitz together um, to to see the former extermination camp and we actually drove there by train which is scary not because of the trains but because those tracks were probably the same tracks that led other people to death and um so we arrived there on a hot summer day and, you know, we started to, to go around the camp and, and we had a guide and we saw the, the vastness of this Moloch. And um, we, we came to, um, to do the guest chambers and um, these are actually reconstructions. So this is not the real deal, but still the you know, more than real enough. Um, and so 
at the entrance there's a sign saying that many people died here and in respect for the people who died here they ask for absolute silence um, so I stepped into this first room where, where the people were actually gassed and I could see them I could see them trying to get out and I could see them scratching their nails on the wall and screaming and the silence in this room was so loud I could barely take it and I I I walked into this next room where they had the ovens where they actually burned the bodies and I just I just couldn't take it anymore and I I stumbled out of this doorway and I couldn't breathe anymore and I didn't feel my heart beat anymore and after a while I started feeling my heartbeat coming back and I started to feel my breath filling my lungs and I cried and I cried and I cried and it took me 10 years to get to that point and I think I, I would have not been ready any time before that 10 years um, both because this journey was so emotional and because there was just nothing that could break this dam within me um, but ever since that moment if I'm happy if I'm sad if I'm emotional I can cry and it's one of the most liberating feelings that I can, I can imagine. And I think it's such an, such an important human attribute to actually not just be able to show feelings, but to cry when you're sad. And I, I would actually like to ask any man who's out there and who is really a man to just give in to his feelings and if he's sad or if he's happy or if he's emotional to cry because it's cleansing and it's spiritually healthy and it just it, it really um, it really frees you from your from your emotions and I think that was one of the, the best gifts ever given to me, just to, to be able to fully, to fully show my emotions. And yeah, and I think this journey really, really changed me immensely. Yeah.